Hello, this is Dean Hess, editor of Respiratory Care. Welcome to the September 2010 podcast. This month, we are pleased to publish the first of two issues presenting the proceedings of the 45th Respiratory Care Journal Conference, Sleep Disorders, Diagnosis and Treatment. Breathing disorders are highly prevalent during sleep. The occurrence of disordered breathing during sleep limits the ability to obtain deep, restful sleep, results in sleepiness during the daytime, and contributes to several comorbidities. Respiratory therapists are an integral part of the clinical management team and make several important contributions to the care of patients with sleep disorders. The topics reviewed in this conference are, therefore, extremely relevant to the day-to-day practice of respiratory therapists and others involved in the care of these patients. For the high quality of this conference, we are indebted to co-chairs Rajiv Dond and Sai Parthasararathy. As is our customary practice, Sarah will read the abstracts and I will provide some commentary. Our first paper is Obstructive Sleep Apnea, Diagnosis, Epidemiology, and Economics by Kapoor. Obstructive sleep apnea, or OSA, is a disorder characterized by intermittent upper airway collapse, which impairs ventilation and disrupts sleep. Factors that contribute to upper airway collapse include reduced upper airway dilator muscle activity during sleep, specific upper airway anatomical features, decreased end expiratory lung volume, ventilatory control instability, sleep state instability, and rostral fluid shifts in the recumbent position. The relative contributions of these factors vary between individuals with OSA, and this may have implications as to which treatments are efficacious for an individual. OSA is common in adults. Males, older individuals, and the obese are at a higher risk. There is uncertainty in how to measure severity of sleep-disordered breathing, what cutoff to use to demarcate abnormal, and how to define the clinical syndrome. Identifying patients at higher risk who should have a sleep study is relatively simple, involving assessment of several factors such as snoring, witness apnea or self-reported gasping, hypertension, body mass index, and neck circumference. As would be expected from a disorder that causes morbidity, OSA is associated with substantial economic costs to society, including increased medical cost. A reduction in medical costs in a diverse adult patient population with OSA after therapy has not been convincingly demonstrated. Nevertheless, the results of cost-effectiveness analyses strongly support the cost-effectiveness of continuous positive airway pressure therapy in patients with moderate to severe OSA relative to other standard medical therapies that society is willing to pay for. It is well established that OSA is common in adults. All of us caring for patients with respiratory disease will encounter these patients commonly in our practice. We should have a high index of suspicion in males, older individuals, and the obese. Patients at risk should be referred for a sleep study. Although OSA is associated with substantial economic costs to society, treatment with continuous positive airway pressure in patients with moderate to severe OSA is cost-effective. 
Our next paper is What is Central Sleep Apnea? by Malhotra and Owens. Central sleep apnea describes a group of conditions in which cessations in airflow occur without respiratory effort. In contrast, obstructive sleep apnea patients have ongoing respiratory effort during respiratory events. However, considerable overlap exists in the pathogenesis and clinical presentation of obstructive sleep apnea and central sleep apnea. A good working knowledge of the mechanisms underlying central sleep apnea is important for optimal clinical care. In general, central sleep apnea can be classified into those with excessive drive, such as chain stokes breathing, versus those with inadequate drive, such as sleep hypoventilation syndrome. One critical factor contributing to the cessation of airflow during sleep is the concept of the apnea threshold, such that a PaCO2 value below a certain level will lead to cessations in breathing. PaCO2 can fall below the chemical apnea threshold when drive is excessive, for example, robust chemosensitivity, or when hyperventilation is occurring, for example, following arousal. Another important factor is the loss of the so-called wakefulness drive to breathe, such that some rise in PaCO2 is likely to occur at the onset of sleep. A variety of factors contribute to this rise, including upper airway collapse and diminished chemosensitivity, particularly during rapid eye movement sleep. In patients with low central drive, this further loss of drive at sleep onset can lead to marked hypercapnia in some cases. The treatment of central sleep apnea is also reviewed in some detail, including a role for positive airway pressure and optimization of medical therapy. A major paucity of research exists in this area, emphasizing opportunities for young investigators who are interested in this field. Although there is overlap, for diagnostic and therapeutic purposes, it is important to distinguish central sleep apnea from OSA. Central sleep apnea describes a group of conditions in which cessations in airflow occur without respiratory effort, whereas there are ongoing breathing efforts during respiratory events with OSA. Respiratory therapists and others caring for patients with respiratory disease should be familiar with the concepts of the apnea threshold and wakefulness drive to breathe. Chain-Stokes breathing and sleep hypoventilation syndrome should be assessed in patients at risk. Treatment of central sleep apnea with bilevel positive airway pressure and optimization of medical therapy are integral to respiratory care practice. The paper by Patil is What Every Clinician Should Know About Polysomnography. Polysomnography studies are an essential tool for sleep physicians and aid in the diagnosis and treatment of sleep disorders. Polysomnography refers to the recording, analysis, and interpretation of multiple physiologic signals collected simultaneously. Rapid advancements in technology have transformed the field from a time where analog studies were collected on paper to computer-assisted collection of digitally transformed studies. 
Sleep clinicians, whether physicians, respiratory therapists, or sleep technologists, must therefore have an understanding of a broad array of principles underlying the collection of the various signals. In addition, an understanding of basic technical rules in the evaluation of polysomnography studies is necessary for both the scoring and interpretation of such studies. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine published a new manual for the scoring of sleep and associated events in 2007. These changes included modifications to the visual scoring of sleep, the scoring of sleep-disordered breathing events, and movement disorders during sleep. A few early studies have evaluated the effects of the changes in scoring guidelines to the previous Rechtschaffen and Kales rules for sleep and American Academy of Sleep Medicine rules for respiratory events. Some controversy regarding the scoring of respiratory events continues to exist and requires further studies to be performed. Although polysomnography is essential for the diagnosis of sleep disorders, the details of these studies are usually only appreciated by technicians and physicians working in sleep medicine. Patil nicely covers the basics of polysomnography with an approach directed to those of us who do not work in the sleep lab. A clinical understanding of basic technical rules in the evaluation of polysomnography studies is necessary for both the scoring and interpretation of such studies. Even for those of us who do not perform sleep studies or do not interpret sleep studies, it is important that we have some idea of what occurred when we read the final report. Portable monitor testing, an alternative strategy for managing patients with obstructive sleep apnea, is by Kuna. Portable monitor testing is being used increasingly in ambulatory management pathways for the diagnosis and treatment of patients with obstructive sleep apnea. Wide varieties of portable monitors are commercially available, and they range from single-channel recorders to units that record a full polysomnogram. Recent comparative effectiveness research studies have shown that clinical outcomes of patients with a high pretest probability for obstructive sleep apnea who receive ambulatory management using portable monitor testing have similar functional outcomes and adherence to continuous positive airway pressure treatment compared to patients managed with an in-laboratory polysomnography. The cost-effectiveness of portable monitor testing and its potential to improve patient access to diagnosis and treatment requires further investigation. Increasingly, a wide variety of portable monitors are commercially available, and they range from single-channel recorders to units that record a full polysomnogram. Although controversial, these portable monitors are being used increasingly in ambulatory management for the diagnosis and treatment of patients with OSA. In fact, recent comparative effectiveness research studying the clinical outcomes of patients with a high pretest probability for OSA who receive ambulatory management using portable monitor testing shows that they have similar functional outcomes and adherence to CPAP treatment compared to patients managed with in-laboratory polysomnography. I'm sure that portable sleep monitors will continue to be introduced to the market, and I'm equally certain that the controversy regarding their use will continue for some time.
of the paper, CPAP and Bilevel Pap Therapy, New and Established Roles, by Antonescu Tursu and Parthasarthi. Over the past few decades, CPAP therapy for obstructive sleep apnea has evolved into more and more sophisticated modes of therapy for various forms of sleep-disordered breathing. While the principles of splinting the airway and delivering assisted ventilation underpin the basics of this therapy, the introduction of newer technologies and miniaturization are revolutionizing the former conventions of the field. The purpose of this review is to improve our understanding of various forms of PAP therapy by providing the rationale for such modalities, gaining a basic working knowledge of device technology, critically assessing the clinical research evidence while identifying barriers to implementation. Dissemination of such information is vital in order to prevent knowledge gaps in healthcare providers and systems. Newer technologies to provide CPAP and bilevel positive airway pressure have been introduced in recent years. These newer modes are nicely described in this paper. The authors cover not only the principles of the technology for these newer modes, but also the clinical rationale for such modalities. Whether or not these newer modes improve patient outcomes is yet to be determined. But there is no doubt that additional new modes will be introduced in the future. As clinicians, it is our responsibility to understand how these new modes function and also to know the potential benefits as well as the disadvantages of these modes. Some of these modes are likely to be applied not only in the management of sleep disorder breathing, but also in the settings of acute and chronic respiratory failure. Encouraging CPAP adherence, it is everyone's job, is by Bollig. OSA is a chronic disease treated effectively with the use of CPAP therapy. Patient adherence to prescribed CPAP, however, is variable, leaving the undertreated OSA patient at risk of development or worsening of comorbid medical conditions, including hypertension and cardiovascular disease. The severity of disease and the presence of daytime sleepiness appear to have some predictive quality for subsequent adherence, though a search for consistent predictive factors related to CPAP adherence has proven elusive. Other influences, such as sex, age, socioeconomic status, and personality traits are less robust predictors. The use of sophisticated therapy modalities, such as autotitration or bilevel positive airway pressure units, has been shown to improve adherence in certain subsets of OSA patients. Adverse effects, such as nasal congestion, dry mouth, or skin irritation, occur in approximately 50% of CPAP users, and addressing these adverse effects may improve adherence in some patients. More encouraging, studies on the use of intensive patient education and behavioral interventions have shown more positive effects on adherence leading to the conclusion that improvement in patient adherence to CPAP therapy requires a multi-layered approach using combined technological, behavioral, and adverse effect interventions. Poor patient adherence to CPAP and bilevel positive airway pressure therapy leaves many patients undertreated and at risk of development or worsening of comorbid medical conditions. 
As described by Bollock, many factors contribute to this poor adherence. It is important to note that intensive patient education and behavioral interventions have shown positive benefits on adherence. All of us can help in our clinical interactions with these patients by encouraging adherence to therapy and exploring issues related to poor adherence if present. Encouraging adherence is everybody's job. Our final paper this month is Sleep and Sleep Disordered Breathing in the Hospitalized Patient by Gay. Clinicians are becoming more aware of the risks of sleep deprivation and unrecognized sleep disordered breathing in hospitalized patients, most importantly in those patients planning to undergo surgical procedures. Polysomnography is difficult to perform in the hospital setting such that actigraphy or urinary metabolites or melatonin are often used as surrogate measures and show that sleep is markedly impaired. Patients in the medical intensive care unit with sepsis or requiring mechanical ventilation may show complete absence of the normal circadian rhythm pattern, and many centers have initiated sleep enhancement protocols. In post-operative patients, rapid eye movement sleep is nearly obliterated, especially in the first one to two days after surgery, and this appears closely related to the use of high-dose opioids. Sleep disordered breathing is common in post-operative patients, and questionnaires have been utilized to predict the possibility of OSA and post-operative respiratory complications. Protocols to evaluate patients that determine the need and process for positive airway pressure treatment in the hospital patient with OSA are being developed. An obstructive apnea systematic intervention strategy protocol to deal with patients with suspected OSA can help guide diagnostic and therapeutic decision making. Hospitals that are proactive in the development of protocols for identification and management of patients with sleep disordered breathing are likely to be rewarded with reduced complications and costs, and the issue is sure to be incorporated in future pay-for-performance evaluations. There is no question that issues related to sleep and sleep disorder breathing in hospitalized patients are becoming increasingly recognized. In the medical intensive care unit, for example, patients requiring mechanical ventilation may show complete absence of the normal circadian rhythm. In recent years, there has been increasing interest in the relationship between patient-ventilator interactions and mechanically ventilated patients. Sleep disorder breathing has also been shown to be common in postoperative patients. Add to this the increasing number of hospitalized patients who are obese. There is no question that we who work in acute care will need to become more familiar with recognition and treatment of OSA and other sleep disorders in hospitalized patients. In some cases, previously diagnosed patients will need to continue their use of CPAP while hospitalized. In other cases, patients may be poorly adherent to therapy, and the period of hospitalization might present an opportunity to address this issue. Finally, symptoms of OSA may be recognized during hospitalization, a sleep study might be performed before discharge, and a new diagnosis of OSA may be made. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. 
There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.